Well, welcome to the Hills. Preacher Rick here, greeting all of you watching online around the world, all of you in person at Keller, at West Fort Worth, at North Richmond Hills, and to our Dallas launch team. I had the privilege last Sunday of being in Dallas and preaching there, and I'm just coming away believing God is going to do big things in Big D when we officially launch that campus later this year. Wherever you are, I am so glad you are here because we're talking about something so important about why it's good to hear the voice of the Lord. You see, our church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we do this together by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. But all of that presumes we can hear him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. It is imperative if we're going to follow Jesus that we learn to hear him. And let me tell you something about the gift of hearing. You don't fully appreciate it until you begin to lose it. God has blessed me all my life with undeserved good health. The only time I've been to a hospital except to see somebody is the day I was born. And so I'm not complaining, but some of you know, in the last few years, I have begun to experience hearing loss. Uh, The doctors can't explain it. It's just one of those things that can happen. And so, while the COVID season was hard for all of us, let me share why it was hard for me. I wasn't wearing hearing aids, and we were all wearing masks. Imagine if you have a hearing loss, what that means. Not only is your voice muffled, but I can't see your lips. And I realized now for years, I had been depending on seeing people's lips to understand what they were saying. And so when we did come back to meet and everyone was wearing masks, I would meet people in the foyer of whatever campus I was at, and they would speak to me, and I had no clue what they were saying. I would just nod my head. God bless. I have no idea how much heresy I may have blessed during the pandemic, because I could not hear. And it's a gift you don't fully appreciate until you begin to lose the ability to do so. But... As I shared with you in this series, for over half my life, I did not hear God. And it was not because I had lost the ability to do so. It was because I never knew I had the ability to do so. In fact, I was taught that that ability doesn't exist. That God spoke in his scripture and he doesn't speak anymore. And so last week, I told you how God got my attention in a dramatic way, making me aware of his fluency in more than one language and making me aware I do have the ability to hear him speak. And my wife, Jamie, had an equally powerful encounter with the voice of the Lord because like me, she too was raised to believe she could not hear the voice of the Lord. Early in our marriage, we went down the very difficult infertility road. If you have been on that journey, you know how hard it is. And Jamie will be honest and confess that with her body full of drugs and her hormones out of whack, that she was emotionally fragile. In fact, she would even use the word, I could be difficult to be around. And it was one of those nights where I used my mercy gift and said, Jamie, you need to go deal with God because I don't know what to say anymore. 
And she decided to do that. So she went into a back bedroom of our little house and she decided to have it out with God. And she made it clear that she had tried to do right. She had tried to stay away from wrong. And she could not understand why a good God would be denying her what he want. And then it happened. And in a way, unlike any in her life, she heard God. And God said in that little bedroom, Do you love me for the good things I can give you? Or do you love me because I'm good? And then God said, And if you never get what you want, am I enough? And it changed her. I noticed the change. Now, at that time, Jamie did not have the vocabulary to explain what had happened. But she had heard God. And together as a couple, we have grown in our capacity to hear God. And notice that even though the first time we heard God dramatically, we were challenged, we also felt incredibly loved. And this is the chief reason why it is good to hear his voice. God wants you to hear from him because you are dear to him. You see, love rarely remains unbroken if it remains unspoken. If you love someone, but you never tell them, if you think, well, they should just know that I love them, why do I have to tell them? You have a relationship that is in trouble. God loves you too much to never tell you, to never stop telling you. It's his affection that is behind all his direction. And so God has many ways to tell you he loves you. We saw last time, he speaks primarily through his holy word, the scriptures. But he speaks in many other languages. He speaks to creation, gifted teachers, the family of faith, circumstances and signs, and messages from the Holy Spirit. But we also read in our Bible of times when God speaks through what I'm going to call surprise announcements. And I believe he still does so today. So I'm going to share with you three surprise ways God can speak. They may seem a little strange to you. Keep your mind open. If you don't have an open mind, you're probably not going to have open ears. And I would remind you of one more thing. If you are a Christian, you've already bought into a story that's far-fetched. You know that, don't you? You have built your life around a story that says a God that you've never seen became a man And came to earth born through the womb of a virgin and lived sinlessly and predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. You've already bought into a story that depends on the reality of the supernatural. And so, nothing I'm going to say today should be all that surprising to people who've built their life on the reality of the possibility of the supernatural. And so, with that in mind. Three ways God makes surprise announcements. One, be open to the possibility of God sending messages through angels. The pages of Scripture are filled with appearances by and messages from angels. Especially in the Gospels and the book of Acts. You ever notice sometimes in the Bible that something is all over the pages, but you don't notice until you look for it. 
So go read the Gospels and Acts and see how often angels are mentioned. Jesus talked about angels all the time, and he was ministered to by angels. In the temptation narrative, when he's through, it says angels attended to him. There's a little verse in the Gospel of Luke you may have not noticed. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's Jesus' most difficult moment. He is sweating blood from his forehead. And Luke drops this verse in. And an angel appeared and strengthened him. In Jesus' most difficult hour, he was blessed by the ministry of an angel. It shouldn't surprise us. Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? By the way, the word angel simply means messenger. And this is the primary way we see them used in the scripture. They bring messages. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not aware of a time when I received a message from an angel. I am aware that you may not be aware that you're talking to an angel. Do I need to say that again? That I am aware that you could be talking to an angel and not be aware of it. Again, Hebrews 13, 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So it's clear the author of Hebrews says, be kind to all people. Because the ministry of angels is still on going to that end one of my favorite stories involves a family we love my wife in college was uh, housemates with a woman named Lori Stalin she was one of four daughters that was uh, the family of coach Gene Stalin some of you remember that name he played football for the Texas Aggies he was head coach of the Texas Aggies he coached many years for the Dallas Cowboys he led the Crimson Tide to a national football championship as head coach, he had these four beautiful daughters. And then they had a son named Johnny. And Johnny was born with Down's syndrome. And it rocked Gene. And he tells a story. It's early in Johnny's life. And he hears a noise from Johnny's bedroom. And he gets up in the middle of the night and goes into that bedroom. And there's little Johnny sitting up in his crib and another little boy was in that crib with Johnny. They were playing some game, and they were laughing hysterically. And then that other little boy looked at Gene and smiled and disappeared. Coach wasn't expecting anything. But he believes to this day that was a visit of an angel. And God was sending that broken father a message I've got my eye on Johnny and he's going to be okay like I said I'm not aware of a time when I spoke to an angel I'm very aware that on many occasions I've had the privilege to be by somebody about to die in a hospital room a nursing home their own home and on more than one occasion they've said do you see them Do I see what? Them. They might point to a corner of the ceiling. And they will describe the most majestic creatures. What I believe is that they're seen angels. Luke 16, Jesus tells a story. When Lazarus dies, angels carried him to Abraham's side. I believe God is sending his precious children the message 
It's okay. Don't be afraid. It's time to come home. And so, yes, I do believe that God can still speak love to his children through angels. By the way, in Scripture, when angels bring messages, it is often in a dream. That's a second way God makes surprise announcements in the Bible. Be open to the possibility of God speaking through visions and dreams. Now, the Bible never commands anyone to seek God's mind through dreams and visions. Yet the Old Testament and the New Testament are full of examples of God taking the initiative to reveal his will in this way. In fact, in the Bible, the absence of visions and dreams is a sign of judgment. Last week, we talked about little Samuel learning how to hear the voice of the Lord. It says in chapter 3 that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. God wasn't speaking to Israel because Israel wasn't listening and living in rebellion. A lack of dreams and visions in the Bible is a sign of God's displeasure. So you find these people in Scripture who walk with God, and some of them seem particularly to hear God through dreams, like Joseph the patriarch, or Daniel the prophet, or Joseph Jesus' adopted father. Four times, it says, he heard God in a dream. And every time he knew it was God, and he obeyed Immediately, God also in the Bible sometimes speaks to people through dreams that aren't believers, like Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or Pilate's wife. And you read the book of Acts, and there are many accounts in the book of Acts of God speaking to his church through dreams and visions. And the reader of Acts shouldn't be surprised. They should have anticipated this, because Acts starts chapter 2, The Holy Spirit falls, a crowd gathers, and Peter is explaining what these people are witnessing like this in chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now, let's be clear. Most dreams are just dreams. In fact, I rarely even remember My dreams. If I remember a dream, it usually means I had Mexican food for supper. (laughs) But I do believe God uses this special language for special announcements. I'm not aware of a time when God gave me a message through one of my dreams. But I am very aware of times when God has sent me messages through someone else's dreams. For example, many years ago, we were about to launch a huge prayer initiative in our church, but we had not told anyone. Just the leadership knew about it. I get a call from a pastor across town. I barely know. I think I've met him one time. He said, could I take you to lunch? So he came across town, took me to lunch. He said, okay, I want to tell you that I had a dream about you. You and I are walking down a hall, and on each side of this hall, people are on their knees praying to God. And then we get to the end of the hall, a little room, and you get on your knees. I put my hands on my shoulders, your shoulders, and I say, Rick, encourage your people in prayer. He said, that's a dream. I don't know what it means. Maybe nothing. Just thought I'd share it. Are you kidding me? It was God confirming the plans we had to share with our church to call them to a new level of prayer. Be open to God speaking through dreams and visions. One more story. Some of you recognize the name Dr. Ben Carson. He was the uh, youngest chief of uh, 
neurological surgery or pediatric neurological surgery in America. At the age of 50, he was considered, or by Time Magazine, one of the top 20 doctors or scientists in America. He's been given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's an outspoken Christian and an ardent champion for life in the womb. A great man. He grew up in a difficult environment, in poverty, in a ghetto. But he wanted to be a doctor. He was able to get into Yale University. But he's about to lose his dream because he's going to flunk freshman chemistry. You can't go to med school flunking chemistry. And he studies and he studies. He just can't get it. It's the night before his final. He prays to God. God, either you need to give me a new career or you need to give me a miracle and help me pass his final. He crams and crams. Finally, at midnight, his brain is so tired, he goes to bed and says, God, I'm sorry I failed. And he has a dream. And in that dream, he's in his chemistry class, and a nebulous figure walks in and starts writing problems on the board, chemistry problems, and solving them. It's vivid. He wakes up the next morning just thinking, my brain is so fried, I even dream about chemistry. But it was so vivid, he could literally remember the problems. And he wrote them down and memorized them. He goes to the classroom with 600 students. He gets the booklet. He opens the front page. The very first problem was in his dream. And so was the next one. And so was the next one. He made a 97 on his final. Now, he talks about this story in his autobiography called Gifted Hands. And he says, you've got two options when you hear that story. Either you can say, Dr. Ben Carson is a bald-faced liar. Or you can say, God wanted a poor black boy in the ghetto to become a doctor. I am thankful that I serve a God who loves his kids so much he finds all kinds of ways to tell them. For example, missionaries in countries that are hostile to the Christian faith and that outlaw Bibles. And by the way, we have some missionaries in those countries. They give countless Testimonies of people coming to faith in Jesus through dreams and visions. That people are having dreams of Jesus and that's how they are meeting him. Because I want to tell you something. You can outlaw Bibles. You cannot silence the voice of God. I'm doing some preaching right now. In fact, I'm so excited. I think I'm going to respond to my own sermon. It amps me up to know that God is going to get his message out however he needs to do it. And that includes one more way that the church needs to grow in and be open to. And that's the possibility of hearing God through prophetic words. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak through an inner voice. Sometimes he uses the voice of another. So Paul is writing to a group of believers in Thessaloniki, and he's got this first letter, and he says to them, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good. Now, some definitions at this point would be helpful. Remember that the very first days of the church, they don't have a New Testament yet, And so how are they going to establish what is 
the core doctrinal foundation of the Jesus movement. Well, God gave them apostles and prophets, and this was their assignment. Paul says, Ephesians 2, you're like a building that was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, if you're using the word apostle and prophet in that sense, I believe that role has passed. In other words, I believe the canon has been closed. The doctrinal foundation of the church has been established. But that's not how Paul is using prophecies when he writes the church in Thessaloniki. Because he says, test them. Notice he does not say, test what I'm writing. He's writing under the authority of the Spirit of Christ. But he says, test prophecies. So what he's referring to is not new authoritative revelation. He's referring to words of confirmation that are given by the Spirit to one believer to bless another believer. That's all prophetic words are. They're simply messages from God for a specific moment to a specific believer to go and bless other believers and build them up. And why do we want to welcome this gift? Because it's how we love each other. 1 Corinthians 14. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Especially prophecy. Why especially prophecy? Because the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. This is one of the greatest blessings of living in the last days, the messianic age. Go back again to Peter's sermon. He's explaining what's happening. The very next verse, he says, in those days... I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So, I want to be clear. I don't endorse new revelation to be added to the Bible. I strongly endorse fresh exhortation as the church shares prophetic words with one another that enables us to live out the truth of the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Does the church still need to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? Do you sometimes need, in a special moment, to be strengthened and encouraged and comforted? See, prophetic words aren't optional for a church itself. They are essential. And here's the thing. We have claimed this gift and this reality, even if we always... Did it name it? So, some years ago, I had the privilege and the difficult assignment of going to see a father dying of cancer with three young kids at home. Whenever I have an assignment like that, before I walk in the door, I pray a prayer. God, I'm counting on your spirit right now to give me words for this moment because I don't know that I have any. I go into that room and you could feel the heaviness and the sadness. And I have no way to explain it except I heard in my spirit, he's not afraid to die. He's afraid for his kids after he dies. And so I just said, are you afraid for your children? And he nodded. 
and looked straight at me. And I began to speak. God gave me words to talk about his own example and how much it had impacted them. And the faith of his wife and the faith of his friends and his church community that was going to surround those kids. And you could feel the temperature in the room began to change. You could feel him begin to change. You could, you could feel the fear began to leave. Some people even ask me later, how did you know what to say? Now, I've got two options. I can walk back to my car and I can say, actually, sometimes I just surprise myself with my own brilliance. <laughs> or I can say, thank you, God, for giving me needed words in a moment to strengthen and encourage and comfort my brother. It is good to hear his voice through prophetic words. Now, let's go ahead and deal with something some of you are worried about. And that is, we all know that some people can misuse the gift of prophecy. Satan is going to take any good thing God gives the church and try to counterfeit it. And so some of us have had the experience of someone walking up and using God told me as a trump card when in fact they were just being spiritual bullies and taking God's name in vain. Some years ago after a sermon in the uh, reception area, someone rushes up to me, preacher, God told me to tell you next Sunday to preach on. Well, actually, God and I have a pretty good relationship. We talk a lot about what I ought to preach on. <laughs> but just 10 minutes later, someone else comes up to me, preacher, God told me to tell you next Sunday to preach on. Now, either God can't make up his mind, or there are some people using God's name as cover to run their own agenda. And by the way, that is breaking one of the big Ten Commandments. Don't do that. But because some have done damage claiming God told me, what many people in the church do then is say, let's just shut down prophecy. No, that is exactly what Paul says not to do. You don't deal with a concern by contempt. The response to abuse is not disuse. It is proper use. So Paul's counsel is to give prophecy a chance. But don't leave it to chance. Test your hearing and hold on. To what is good. Think about it. When we read this Bible and we agree this Bible is God's word. We still have to interpret it. It doesn't diminish our belief in the Bible that we have to interpret it. So why should it surprise us if someone receives a prophetic word. That we have to practice discernment. And that's why prophetic words should always be given in a spirit of humility. And if you feel like God has given you a word to build up someone else, you say, I think God may be saying. And then if what I've shared is not clear to you, then pray and seek the wisdom of others if the meaning might become more clear. We shouldn't be surprised that God will sometimes make surprise announcements. God wants us to hear from him because we are dear to him. And God is not offended if we ask questions to make sure that it was his voice we are hearing. In fact, I'm going to close by sharing with you three tests that we should apply anytime we get an unexpected message. And it might be from God. Three questions to ask. Number one, 
Does it line up with Scripture? A message from God will line up with Scripture. A word can always be measured by the word. And the more we know Scripture, the less the chance that we could ever be duped. When Paul brought this message about Jesus being the Messiah to a town called Berea, the Jews there, it says, Acts 17, they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Nothing God says will contradict what he has said. If it's a message from God, it will line up with Scripture. A.W. Tozer said, A growing acquaintance with the Holy Spirit will always mean an increasing love for the Bible. A message from God will line up with Scripture. A message from God will lift up His Son. The Spirit of Christ will always point to the person of Christ. This is what Jesus promised when he said he would send us the Spirit. John 15, I'll send you the advocate, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. So if you ever get a word and it detracts from Jesus, it diminishes his deity, his sufficiency, his supremacy. That word's to be cursed, even if it comes from an angel. Paul said Galatians 1, you get a word that diminishes Jesus, I don't care if an angel gave it to you. Let it be cursed. By the way, there are religions that say an angel showed up and gave us new revelation and a new book to read. If it diminishes Jesus, it's not from God. If the word came from God, it should be easy to respond to that word with three words. Jesus is Lord. And so, a message of God, it'll line up with scripture, lift up the sun, one more thing. A message from God will build up the body. And this is not to say that God can't speak a word that might confront. The first time Jamie and I heard from the Lord, we were challenged. But we were not condemned. We felt loved. We hear from him because we are dear to him. And so prophetic words especially can be dismissed if someone delivers them in a dismissive way. Paul said, Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So listen, church, the Spirit is quenched when we forbid prophetic words. And the Spirit is grieved whenever anybody speaks harsh words that do not build up their brothers and sisters. God's word will strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And this is a good place to add that sometimes God will give you words about someone and you're not supposed to share them. He gave you those words so that you could pray for them with more clarity and effectiveness. But you can know this for certain. If the message came from God, it can be spoken in love. Even if it's a surprise announcement. I remind you again, the very story on which our whole faith depends is built on the reality of the supernatural. That God does things beyond the natural. 
to continue the story he's telling in Jesus that will come to fruition when Jesus returns and sets up his reign over all the earth. It is a supernatural story. And so we should not be surprised that very surprising things just might happen. So one more story. I read about a man named Ken Helzer. It was the late 60s. He was in the music industry. He called himself a hippie, big-time drug user. And he's smoking a joint one day in 1970, getting high, and he hears a voice. Hear God, and you will live. So he starts going to churches saying, can you help me hear God? And for three months, every church said, you can't hear God. So he finally finds a Baptist pastor. Do you ever hear God? The pastor says, yes, I hear God all the time. Can you help me hear God? No. Because your idol is music. But if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and make him Lord, I can teach you to hear God. That's what Ken did. He became a very, very fervent follower of Jesus. So fast forward a few years. He and his wife have a couple of kids. When a retired school teacher named Kermit say, Ken, I have a word from you I believe God has given me to encourage you. You're going to have a son. I believe you're going to name him Jonathan David. He's going to grow up to be a mighty man. And he's going to write music that's going to bless the church all over the world. What Kermit didn't know is that Ken's wife had uterine cancer. In two weeks, he was going to have a hysterectomy. So Ken began to pray. And he begged the gynecologist, would you do one more test? And they did. And the doctor returned and said, I think in my 30 years of practice of medicine, this is the first time I can say something was a miracle. There is no cancer. Next year, Jonathan David Helzer was born. And he showed no interest in music. For 19 years, all he wanted to do was play sports. But he's 19, he's about to go to England on, with a group called Youth on a Mission. And he says, Dad, could you give me a guitar and teach, a, teach me a few chords? And so Ken does. Some months later, they go to England to visit their son, and they are shocked that he is writing music for Jesus. He still is. In fact, you sang two of his songs this morning. I will raise a hallelujah. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. And maybe it will mean more to you the next time we sing that song. And you sing, from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. But you know what? Love is calling your name too. In all kinds of ways, God has been trying to tell you that he loves you. I hope you've been listening. So let's pray about that. So God, we want to thank you that you're not content not to tell us that you love us. 
You're not the kind of God who says, well, I said it once. Why do I ever need to say it again? But you just look for ways, surprising ways, to keep letting us know that we are your prized and cherished possessions. And so, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we are ready to declare to whoever will listen to us that Jesus is Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen.